HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Greenhorns, this is Severin, this is Greenhorns Radio, and today is a good day. It's nice and warm outside, and I'm on the phone with Gavin out in California. Hi, Gavin. Hey, Severin. Good to be on with you. How are you doing over there? I'm doing great, great. It's actually, we're getting a, a much-needed rain today, so. So Lighten it's a good that. day to be inside and get stuff done on the computer. Oh, yeah. So much to do. <laughs> much to do. So, would so you mind introducing do, yourself a little bit for the our fine folks here? Absolutely. Um, my name is Gavin Raiders. I'm a co-founder and executive director at Planting Justice in Oakland. And Planting Justice is a nonprofit organization, and we are dedicated to addressing the food and economic crises that are experienced by so many people in our community through food justice and economic justice work. So literally creating living wage green jobs that are transforming our communities through the construction of edible permaculture-based gardens. And that so that all sounds like some nice, everybody. good stuff, you know, very, yeah. very idealistic and big. Now, how many gardens have you built? Because the folks at home might think you were just some kind of big talker, but in fact, you're not. Oh, we're so busy. We've done about 180 uh, garden builds in the past four years, and we do them for everybody, regardless of income. No one is turned away for lack of funds. So essentially, we have some clients who are well-off and can pay full cost for our labor and materials, and um, the, essentially the profit on those garden builds then gets reinvested back into doing gardens for low-income people at sliding scale or for free um, if that's if that's the case. Um, so yeah, out of the about 180 gardens we've done, I'd say 
at least 65 or 70 of them have been sliding scale. And most of them are in people's backyards and front yards, side yards, whatever space is available in their homes. But we also work at a number of institutions across the area at, um, at schools and uh, transitional housing, like, you know, um, homeless um, um, institutions, people helping in anti-poverty work, um, affordable housing apartment complexes, and also at San Quentin State Prison, where we collaborate with another organization called Insight Garden Program on a garden uh, project inside the medium security unit of the prison. And um, that's a really important part of what we do. Um, so we're, we're, you know, building relationships with with these men, there's 30 men that take the class each semester while they're still incarcerated, and those are the folks that we hire on our edible landscaping, permaculture, installation teams when they parole back to Oakland and Richmond, the East Bay. So we've had 10 men in the last, just in the last year and a half. Um, San Quentin is an all-men's prison, so, um, you know, I say men, but there's been 10 men who have paroled directly from San Quentin to um, permaculture landscaping jobs with Planting Justice in just the last year and a half. And, um, you know, we, we're hiring them directly out of prison within a first few, the first few days out, which is the really crucial period when somebody is trying to get their life back together. Um, so, yeah, that's basically, that's who makes up our landscaping teams is, you know, formerly incarcerated people and a few youth who have come through our school garden programs in Oakland, graduated from high school, and then um, are working with us either while they're going to community college or before they go to college. So this is, all, this are the, this is essentially your expression of your theory of change, your theory of change being engaging people with plants and with the neighborhoods and community that they live in. And can you reflect a little bit on how, obviously, building a garden is a nice teamwork and you get sweaty and it's, you know, you know there's some concrete change, but could you reflect a little bit on uh, how those gardens change over time and what, what the impact is that you have witnessed? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, there's a huge impact directly on the team that's building the garden themselves, you know, just forgetting a moment about even, you know, the recipient and, um, you know, just that, that ac action of, you know, working as part of a team and transforming really an unused, usually somewhat ugly urban space into, you know, a really incredible example of, you know, um, of the most sort of abundant, uh, sustainable garden possible in a, in a city landscape, which is, you know, the gardens that we install. They're really quite amazing. Um, and doing that, you know, very quickly, like most of our garden builds take place in just two days, you know, sometimes one day, sometimes three or four or five days, depending on what we're doing, but it's fast. So being able to to really see the results of your work in a real tangible way is really empowering, um, you know, because you really kind of start to recognize, wow, we, we actually have a great deal of power to transform our environments into things that actually serve us and serve our needs. So the impact is, is really great just, you know, physically and emotionally and mentally for our team. You know, that we've had guys who have lost, you know, 40 pounds in a year just, um, you know, we're doing the work and um, and spiritually and emotionally there's an impact as well you know in, in being able to work outside and get your hands dirty and working with plants and the earth you know it really it has a deep impact um, which is sort of cumulative over time 
And then the um, the garden recipients, you know, are, you know, people who, you know, are actually doing the planting on the final day of the installation with us. So we turn it into a workshop for all of our garden recipients. And, you know, we're, able, we're blessed in California. We're able to grow food year-round. Um, actually, our winter gardens are just as productive as our summer gardens. And um, for folks who, you know, are getting these gardens for sliding scale who are low-income, they often, even if, you know, they, there's no place to get fresh organic produce uh, locally. You know, for most of these folks, um, a lot of them don't have cars. You know, they're dependent on relying on, on public transportation, and you know, having having a you know a, a solid source of fresh leafy green vegetables year round out in your backyard um, is a, a huge boon to their personal lives and to their nutrition. Um, and just, you know, being able to have that experience of, of going out in your yard and, and, you know, being able to feed yourself and your family from a, yes, even a small space is really empowering for people whose gardens, they, you know, um, at, at their home. So, you know, it's definitely making a big impact. You know, we're, we're seeing that, you know, you can grow, you know, leafy green vegetables year-round in the Bay Area, like I said, and it's really an easy thing to do. It doesn't take that much work if you set it up right. Um, you know, most of our gardens take less than an hour a week of maintenance, and most of that is in harvesting and spraying off aphids. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's something that working people can do, and, um, you know, and makes a big impact when you, don't, when you don't have access to affordable fresh food, uh, to have it right there at home. Uh, and then the institutions that we work with, like at schools and, you know, transitional housing complexes and things like that, you know, that's really important, you know, to, to be doing the educational work that we do. Um, we return to these community gardens usually about once a week um, with the schools that we're working with uh, and hold really, um, you know, kind of holistic educational um, programming with, with our students. You know, it starts with the visceral, like transforming the space and building gardens, but really moves from there into, you know, the political and looking at the larger context of industrial food production and of, um, you know, fights for land and food sovereignty, um, both nationally and globally, and putting, putting this all into a historical context of, um, you know, struggles for, you know, environmental justice and, and um, you know, deep democracy of being able to have some control over, you know, what we need to live happy, healthy lives. So that's a lot all in the garden, isn't it? Um, let's talk a little bit about the land access um, because sometimes it's overwhelming. People think about land um, land access and, and are immediately uh, immediately confronted with how hard that seems to be to get. Maybe could you just frame in terms of, you know, when you started out, what your attitude was around getting new plots of land and, and how that may have shifted and grown or if you, you know, used to be happy, say, for instance, maybe just with informal, uh, unwritten, un, um, kind of unlegally described tenure, and if you see moving past that, or I don't really know what you're going to say, so. <laughs> sure, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that's one of the, the biggest obstacles, obviously, to, you know, transforming our, our food system is land access, you know, especially where we are in an urban area, you know, land prices in California and in the Bay Area are ridiculously high, um, 
and it's really difficult to get access to land. You know, there's there's so much there. And so, you know, what we've actually done is um, worked around that by not needing legal access to those lands. I mean, we're growing food on land owned by other people, um, you know, whether it be schools or churches or, you know, apartment complexes or, or people's homes who are renting or who own. Um, so, you know, out of those, all of those 180 gardens that we've done, you know, none of them have been on land that we have long-term legal land tenure over, which is a major sort of, you know, a major programmatic challenge, being able to, you know, not actually have a home base where, you know, we don't yet have a large farm, um, although that is, I can kind of talk about that a little bit later, that, you know, that's sort of changing for us over, you know, the last four or five years of work. We're getting closer to having... um, having long-term legal land tenure. But yeah, I mean, it's something that, you know, is a, is a big challenge. There's a lot of folks in our community in the food justice work who, you know, do guerrilla gardens and, you know, we've, we've transformed sort of um, just, you know, unkempt plots of land in our neighborhood into gardens by planting fruit trees and other things before, um, you know, but there's obvious limitations to that, you know, as well, too. You know, there's a lot of work and energy that can go into um, gorilla gardens, and then, you know, they get developed, and um, and then all of that, you know, I mean, it makes an impact while it's there. But, you know, I think that's the next the next step is really to, um, especially in, the, in an urban setting, is to um, really just be as, you know, as effective organizers as we possibly can and tap into the resources that are available and to actually use um, use privilege in a new way and, and try to try to actually think about our our own privilege and um, and how you know certain people are for many reasons are you know in a position to be able to you know advocate for you know their their wants and desires in ways that many other people can't um, and sort of redistribute privilege. Um, in new ways, so uh, that's that's something that we we think about a lot, um, and and yeah, so you know we don't yet have long term legal land tenure anywhere, um, but like I said again, that that'll soon be changing for us. We we actually are getting closer to um, being able to start uh, an, a larger urban farm and training center on ten acres of land in El Cerrante, so that's something that we've been working really hard on, and um, looks like it's going to happen this year. That's that's thrilling, um, and I think you know, and I and I think that the theory around this, I, I'm really looking forward to continuing this conversation around you know what is our theory for for land acquisition because you've done an amazing job of creating an economic model for building affordable food gardens for urban urban eaters and urban dwellers, and figuring out how to charge those who have money to pay in order to create gardens for those who don't have money, totally external to the kind of charity, uh, not-for-profit tax loophole context. And obviously the tax loophole context has some advantages in terms of, you know, getting to skim off some some funds from the top and, and use them to serve the needs of people who aren't at the top. But... Um, but I'm interested for that same logic to start applying to land and how, because the kinds of gardens you're putting in are not, you know, commercially viable gardens. They're not going to be able to earn, or not, they're not commercially 
not that they're not commercially viable, but you just can't earn enough on lettuce to compete with a gas station for urban land. So right, yeah, I feel like there's not the purpose of those gardens anyway. You know, we're not we're not the the gardens that we've installed for people are you know the purpose is not for them to be you know taking the produce somewhere else and selling it. You know, it's it's for on site consumption, um, and that's just. That's just due to, you know, that, those particular circumstances of, you know, small plots of land um, immediately, you know, adjacent to, you know, the people who are taking care of them are the people who are eating from them. Um, but, you know, your point is, is, you know, very important that, you know, we, we need to figure out alternative models for accessing land and for, um, and for making commercial, commercially viable farms, whether they be urban or peri-urban or, um, or rural. And we um, have definitely been doing a lot of thinking and, and acting on that, and I can share with you a little bit of the model that we're pursuing um, right now, which is um, actually, a, you know, um, what we found is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of people in in our urban area who, you know, need and want access to affordable, healthy food. And most folks can't afford it at the current prices that are, you know, that it's being sold at. Um, And unfortunately, organic farmers, small farmers are competing in an unlevel playing field, obviously, already, you know, where large commodity crops are subsidized and most small fruit and vegetable farmers don't get those subsidies. And have to be able to make their own livelihoods as well. So, you know, it prices a lot of people out who are low income for being able to purchase those those products. So we're trying to find a, a hybrid model similar to our nonprofit at Planting Justice where we're redistributing funds from people who can pay full cost for gardens and then doing them for low income people and finding a, a similar kind of, of way of thinking about the farm that we're going to be starting and how do we... Um, you know, build build it into our economic model of actually being able to get food out in innovative ways to low-income people at the low cost. And it, it's, it's difficult to do and still make it commercially viable. But one of the things that we're pursuing, one of the ideas, is that by actually bringing the farm back to the city um, and having a rental residential component of the urban farm, um, then we can have rental income for people who want to be living, you know, in community on on an urban farm in like legal permitted housing, um, and you know, and are able to pay monthly rent, and then actually have that monthly rent help to support the operation of a farm and a farm manager and supplies and things like that. So that by you know bringing that farm back to the city and incorporating a rental income model. Um, we're then able to essentially subsidize our own farm so that, um, you know, we can sell some of our food at full cost to restaurants and people who are buying full share CSA boxes and, you know, and in other, other places to people who pay full cost and then also simultaneously get food out to low-income people at a subsidized rate. So that's the thing that we're pursuing right now um, is sort of, you know, really trying to think how do we how do we create a, as diversified of an income stream as we possibly can. So you know, not just selling produce, but selling you know vermicompost and worm castings and worms and value added products of you know dried fruits and and um, you know med, you know uh, medicinal products as well as tinctures and 
um, and other things that are made with, with the herbs that we'll be growing, but also incorporating rental income for people living on the site um, and, and course fees from educational um, offerings and things like that, but always doing that in a similar way where we have some people who are paying full cost for educational courses, which then subsidizes those courses for low-income people who maybe pay sliding scale or nothing if they don't have any money. So that's, that's the whole goal is to figure out, you know, how do, we, how do we broaden the sort of, you know, local food, foodie type of thing um, out in a way in which is really accessible and uh, relevant for, for everyone in our community. Um, so that's what we're what we're pursuing right now um, is sort of this hybrid model. It's sort of like a hybrid for-profit, non-profit model, which we've done at Planting Justice uh, with a lot of intention because we, you know, as a non-profit, like you said, like we don't want to be dependent on just a couple large foundations for our funding. We find that to be super limit, limiting, not only in, you know, having to tailor your mission and your programs to whatever the whims are of those funders, which happens a lot in the nonprofit world, but then also having people on staff whose jobs are directly tied to foundation funding. And then when that funding ends, you have to cut programming and cut staff. So we built a nonprofit that actually generates the bulk of its own revenue, like 70 or 80% of our budget each of the past four years has been from our own programming we do get some grants, too, and they're very, you know, great. They're great to get grant money. It's, we, we view it as, you know, startup capital for new programming and stuff. But each of our programs needs to be financially sustainable, and we built that into our model so that we're not dependent on those foundation funds to keep going. So the foundation funds is one thing. You know, what I've been thinking about is land gifting as um, – because there's this question of how do you get the land from, you know, in order to do the rental scheme that you have, which is, I think, really wise. Um, and, I, and I've been reading a little bit um, about the MST in Brazil who are, re- are claiming land and who feel that just claiming land is not enough. You have to also create a framework for educational and cultural support of the farming that is going on on that land. Um, but But then through studying some of the work that's been done on the commons, it seems like a really a potentially transformative framework would be creating a way to hold land that's been gifted uh, and that the donor of the land could potentially get a tax benefit, but that they would, but that then it would be held uh, in such a way that it wouldn't be uh, any, it would no longer be available for market use, so it would have its development, uh, its development potential stripped away, and it would get, you know, described in legal terms that would force it to be sold right. always for agriculturalists. What do you think about that? Just like as the first, the first throw at of an idea. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's there's so many farmers who are aging and want to see their land remain in agriculture, remain in food production, and to not have some kind of housing development built on it. And, um, you know, I, there's California FarmLink here locally in, in our state, which is an online resource for new farmers to um, get connected to older farmers who are, are either, you know, willing to sell their land at below cost or 
um, potentially willing to put it in the agriculture land trust or something like that, which sounds like something that you're describing where, you know, for good, you're putting, you're putting the land out of the reach of commercial development and, um, you know, maintaining a promise that it will always be used for, for agricultural productive use. And um, there's, you know, you, whether it's held by a land trust or whether it's donated to a nonprofit and, and run that way, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of potential there. Um, for us, though, the challenge was, well, you know, I mean, our, our work is, is really deeply based in, in Oakland and in the East Bay. Um, and so, you know, a lot of the, like, agricultural farmland, um, you know, is, is some ways away from the city center. And so, you know, just personally, um, you know, I was, you know, just in my life and what, what I'm, I'm feeling called to do, you know, it wasn't something that I was looking for to, you know, try to find... Some, some land further off, you know, and um, out, of, out of the city and, you know, sort of say goodbye to all the, you know, community and the, and the folks that we've been building with and, um, and wanting to, you know, find ways to integrate it, integrate this work into the urban setting. So it's been really hard to find, to find land that, you know, can be, can be commercially productive as an as a urban or peri-urban farm um, and still close enough to, you know, the, the work that we're doing. Um, but, but hopefully, you know, we found, we found the place. Um, it's, just, it's just 11 miles from our office in Oakland um, in El Sobrante, and it's on a bus line, um, you know, so it's, you know, it's still, it's still in the city. Um, so we're hoping to, to have it, you know, be something that can really continue to serve, um, you know, our, our community and be accessible, you know, so that people even without without automobiles, without transportation, um, can, can visit, can learn from it, can, can contribute to it. Uh, yeah. So great. I'm so glad you managed to go to the point where you could handle, uh, t- could handle that kind of a space and that that kind of a space became available. And I don't, um, I'm sure that, I'm sure that there was, I'm sure there were good things going on when that, when that, transaction was happening and you um, made a magic. One yeah, thing I mean, to just uh, check, check, check in about when you're, when you're being called by people across the country who are finding out about your work um, and, and, I'm, and I know that you're speaking at conferences on food justice issues, how are you, how are you um, counseling them to start up? Because uh, that's often the most challenging part and we know about the existing food justice organizations, you know, Growing Power and City Slicker Farm and All Any Farm, and there's some kind of names that 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 are familiar. But if there are folks, you know, and there's wonderful projects in Birmingham, in Detroit, in Baltimore, in other cities, and I and I think there's a lot of room. I know there's a lot of room for more uh, gardening and urban food production projects. Yes. Do you want to just give a little bit of like of the startup perspective? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's really important to figure out you know what the needs are in your community and to and to have a solid business plan even as a as a nonprofit as a social justice organization. You know, like I I feel like sometimes there's you know a disconnect whether it, you know I, I'm not sure exactly what it's due to. A lot of it's probably due to um, to privilege and, and class issues and, and race issues as well, you know, but, um, but 
but not being af- afraid of, um, you know, of building something that obtains a yield, um, some kind of yield, whether that's, you know, uh, it often needs to be a financial yield. Um, so figuring out how to, how to not be, you know, dependent on large funders who, you know, may be there one day and may not be there the next. Um, and I feel like, you know, a lot of, a lot of small social justice organizations, you know, are looking for ways around that dependency. And what it really comes down to is, is really knowing your place really well and surveying as much as you can the, the needs and desires of, of people in your community and, you know, what, figuring out what kind of service you, you can provide that will generate revenue and at the same token, then create economic opportunity and create living wage jobs for people in your community. And I feel like in a lot of places now, you know, due to a lot of things, like we're, we're in the middle of a cultural shift, you know, Michael Pollan and, you know, and the, the folks who are getting, getting the word out there about our unsustainable and unhealthy food system, you know, it's creating this market essentially in pretty much every city that I've been to. Um, in the U.S. where, you know, there's, you know, a class of people who, you know, are middle, upper class who are looking for healthy, sustainable food options for themselves and their family and who will pay quite a bit of money for edible landscaping and permaculture services. And so I feel like the model that we've done here in Oakland, which taps into that desire and that need, um, and then sort of re and then has a business model that reinvests that, that that income into doing work for people who couldn't ever possibly think about spending money on edible landscaping, but who also have that same need for healthy um, and affordable food. Um, you know, so I think I feel like this model that we've done at Planting Justice could be done uh, anywhere. You know, um, in in any U.S. city. Um, because there is now, we're in the midst of this kind of cultural shift where people are, are aware that the food that we're eating, you know, is literally killing us. You know, all the processed sugars and processed foods, uh, you know, um, are not healthy to be feeding to our kids and our families. You know, we're, we're experiencing preventable diet-related diseases much younger than our grandparents' generation did. And, um, you know, I feel like that, that awareness is getting out there. So... Figuring out how then, yeah, how, how to obtain a financial yield and, and then use that funding for the kind of work that you want to do. And then if you can get foundation funds, too, on top of it, that's great. But to be in a position where you don't necessarily even need them to be able to do the work is really important. I should say, too, that there's another piece of the puzzle which is really benefiting us, which is grassroots organizing and grassroots fundraising tactics. So we also have a canvassing component to our work. So in addition to our edible landscaping and our educational programs, we have a, you know, a grassroots fundraising component as well. So the idea there is that, you know, if you're getting hundreds, you know, maybe even a couple thousand people who are donating $5 a month or $10 a month, you know, real small amounts, um, you have a really resilient organization that can weather financial economic storms, you know, and, and, you know, won't get cut or shut down, you know, if a large funder backs out because we have community support. We have a lot of people donating small amounts of money. And so that was my background prior to starting Planting Justice. I did a lot of canvassing, a lot of community organizing, and really saw that those 
tactics could be used in new ways to actually create real localized tangible change rather than just asking people for money and maybe a letter to their congressperson and sort of then just, you know, continuing that model of asking our politicians to create a better life for us, um, which is pretty disempowering. Um, to actually use those tactics of grassroots organizing and fundraising to create change ourselves locally in our, in our own communities that we can see. And so that's a big piece of it, too. And I think those skills a lot of people have now, a lot of people, you know, during the Bush the Bush era, you know, um, a lot of people turned to organizing and canvassing and with the Obama era too, um, those, those tactics are sort of very widespread in pretty much every city. So you can find people who are really good organizers and really good fundraisers um, who really like doing that work, which is really tough work. It's really hard to do because um, you experience a lot of rejection, obviously. But, you know, there's people like that who have a passion for that kind of organizing anywhere. So trying to find those links and, and to link those up and, and, you know, provide a service that people want, but then also fundraise and organize um, yourself in your own community uh, is, is really important. Yeehaw. Well, yeah. I hope there's some community organizers in the crowd today, and I thank you so much for your time. I uh, look forward to seeing you in October at the Seed Circus, I hope. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you then, too. And any other events that you have coming up that you wanted to quickly announce? Um, well, just stay in touch with us um, on our Facebook page, Planting Justice, or on our um, website, uh, www.plantingjustice.org. Um, we we put up a lot of events and photos and things on our Facebook page uh, for people locally in the Bay Area and there's a lot more to come this spring with the launch of the new farm project and everything. So I encourage people to stay in touch and to let us know if you have any questions, if you're doing similar work in your own community and you have questions about it or want some advice, you know, we're always open to um, talking with people. So um, you can find us on the web and connect with us that way. Awesome. Well, I thank you so much, and, and I'm so impressed with what you guys are doing out there. And, yes, get in touch with Gavin. It's enough. I have enough. No more time. This is Severin. This is Greenhorns Radio. We, well, I'll just have to go to our website to read about the next events because we don't have time. Okay, next week. Bye-bye. Bye, Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.